Hi, I'm Rico Tice, a pastor of a church called All Souls in London. Most of us wonder, is there something more to life? The Finding More podcast tells the stories of 11 people who asked that question and found the answer. In this episode, we spoke to Drew. Driven by his love for music, Drew went to a prestigious music college, won competitions. He'd made it. But when he went along to a talk about Jesus that he'd been invited to, he was asked by someone to read the Bible. Then his world started to shift. Is there something more to life? It's time to find out. I've always been the sort of person who, when I do something, I do it properly. I go all in, says Drew. For the first 20 years of his life, the obsession was music. I basically fell in love with music at about the age of 10 and set my mind on being a professional musician. Pretty soon, life revolved around that. Every night after school, I'd usually do three different things. Piano lesson, followed by choir practice, followed by orchestra and so on. There was always something. Even as a kid, I would be up at 5.30 in the morning to practice the violin. I'm pretty sure my brothers didn't like that. What was it about music that so captured him? I remember seeing a string quartet playing and thinking, that is amazing, that is what I want to do. Maybe it was something about the beauty of the sound or the beauty of the teamwork that goes into performing together as a group or maybe just the fact that playing music is fun. It's interesting that the word we use is play. You play music. You don't work music. I knew I wanted to spend the rest of my life working by playing. When Drew was 18, he started at a prestigious conservatoire or music college. It was here that Drew took his passion to a whole new level. If I was obsessive as a kid... I became completely ruthless as a student. Everything was about becoming the best musician I could possibly be. I even used to dump girlfriends if they got in the way of my practice. I gave up drinking alcohol. I would still go out with my friends every night, but because I didn't drink, I could still get up at 5am the next day to go for a run, eat a huge bowl of cereal, and be in the practice room by 7am. I used to practice my scales from 7am until 10am, every morning, without fail. It was nuts, he says, shaking his head. It did make me a good musician, though. Over his four years at university, Drew's determination paid off. By the age of 21, I was basically living my dream life. I won the competitions I wanted to win. I got into the string quartet I wanted to get into. I was playing solo tours and travelling the world. I'd made it as a musician. Drew doesn't seem that intense on first meeting. Instead, he has an almost boyish charm about him. He's expressive and eager to please, offering up a choice of mugs for coffee and his grandmother's homemade shortbread, with sandy blonde hair, a clean-shaven jawline and round glasses. It's a warm day in this tiny third-floor flat, so he's wearing a blue t-shirt and red shorts and sits on the sofa with his bare feet tucked up underneath him but it's clear that Drew still loves music. He speaks enthusiastically about his favourite composers, Beethoven and Mozart and Tchaikovsky, who, he says, are all a little bit obsessed, as he is. 
When I ask him what he'd choose as his most prized possession, I'm assuming that he'll pick one of his instruments. I suppose I should say my viola, he muses, before suddenly remembering something else. Hold on. He starts rummaging in the storage underneath the coffee table. Eventually, he produces a small, battered-looking Bible. The cover is curled at the edges and the spine is torn. Flicking through, the pages inside are covered in tiny notes and colourful highlights. This, Drew says, is the Bible he was given when he first became a Christian. What makes it special to him is the message written in the front by his best friend. Drew, my prayer for you in giving you this Bible is that you will grow in the knowledge and understanding of our awesome God. May you come back to it at all times, through times of happiness, struggle, doubt, sadness and joy. God bless you, my new brother, Matthew. It was Matthew who first introduced Drew to Christianity. They played in a trio together at university. Matthew invited me to an event being put on by the Christian student group. I agreed to go along, in the name of openness, really. I thought of myself as a bit of a hippie, and my philosophy for life was just love everyone and everything will be alright in the end. So I thought I had to embrace all ideas. I can remember the exact room the meeting was in, in the university building. The speaker was a guy called Rob, but I genuinely don't remember anything that was said, mainly because after five minutes of listening to him, I got up and started shouting abuse at him. Literally started shouting at him. But why? I wish I knew what it was that wound me up so much, Drew says, shaking his head. I suppose it must have been something about Jesus. The point was, I didn't like it. So the next 55 minutes of this hour-long meeting was me having it out with the speaker. I don't remember anything that we said, but I do remember Rob being kind and gentle with his words. So much for Drew's love-everyone philosophy then. Oh yeah, I see now what a massive hypocrite I was. But I left that meeting thinking I had won because I'd shouted the loudest. I was totally persuaded that I'd nailed it. I went off to do some practice, and about an hour later, Rob and I happened to leave the building at exactly the same time. Rob said, Hey Drew, great to meet you today. I remember thinking, No it wasn't. I was so rude to you. Rob said, Listen, I'd love to meet up and chat with you more and maybe read the Bible together. And I thought, yeah, okay, I'm going to convert you to my philosophy. I'll meet up with you and show you the right way. Little did Drew imagine that six months later, having met up regularly to read the Bible, he would find himself sitting in a coffee shop with Rob having a very different conversation. Drew describes the moment he became a Christian. Rob asked me, do you think Jesus was a real person? I said, yes. I'd done my research. I knew I could trust the Bible as a historical document. It was all legit. Then Rob asked, Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? And up to that moment, I would not have said yes. But something changed inside me in that split second. God opened my mind to see it for myself and I said, Yes, that's right. He did. So what had changed in those six months? As I was reading the Bible with Rob over those months, I was so surprised by the things Jesus said. What I loved was that he was honest enough to tell me what I'm actually really like. He exposes your heart. There's no hiding from the fact that Jesus thinks everybody, without exception, 
has the same problem. We've got these hearts that just spew out evil. That's what the Bible calls sin. Drew speaks with an intensity and depth of knowledge that shows he's put at least as much time into studying the Bible in the years since he became a Christian as he did studying music in the years before. He quotes a particular paragraph from the Bible with a startling degree of accuracy. Jesus said, What comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Mark 7, 20-23 Drew adds, I'm yet to meet a person who can honestly look at that list and say they don't have a problem inside. And if we've got a problem with sin, we need a solution. But what is it that makes sin such a big deal? Well, for one thing, look at the damage it does to people. So many of the issues in the world come down to greed but there's more to it than that. The problem is that God is God, and our hearts are rebelling against him. We don't treat him as he should be treated, as the maker and ruler of everything, including ourselves. Sin is that attitude of rebellion, and the solution is? The cross. Jesus' death. Two thousand years ago. It's like a penalty swap. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We've earned it. And we face God's right and fair anger at our sin after death, too. But Jesus died to take the penalty that I deserve. He swapped into my place and took all of God's anger at my rebellion on the cross, even though he was innocent. So now, if I accept that, my sin is fully paid for. And then the fact that Jesus came back to life again three days later shows that the cross really worked. He's not restrained by death. He beats death because he beats sin. That's the shock at the heart of the Bible. That Jesus Christ, the one who is the Son of God, who can walk on water and raise the dead, willingly died for me. I mean, it's outrageous. There is nothing in the world that comes close to this. But six months into his friendship with Rob, and a few minutes into his life as a Christian... Drew didn't realise just how life-changing it all was. At the time, I didn't really quite understand why Rob and Matthew were both so excited. I had a summer of touring around the world ahead of me, and honestly, not a lot changed in the way I lived over those months. I believed that Jesus had died for my sins, but I didn't really understand what it meant to repent, to turn away from my sin and follow Jesus. I don't know how he did it, but when I came back in September... Rob somehow managed to get me to go to church and to a small group looking at the Bible together one evening each week. Once I'd started going, I was pretty consistent. Things changed slowly, but gradually, as I got to know Jesus better and saw his pureness and light, I realised more and more just what a sinner I really was. I remember sitting in church and thinking everyone else looked perfect, and it was as if I was just covered in mud, and I'd look down at my shoulder one day and see, oh wow, I've got this hunk of dirt on me. I can take that off now. I don't need to behave like that anymore. Jesus deals with that. 
And then it was like I'd look down at my foot and see that's covered in this stuff too. But that's the normal Christian life for every Christian. As you get to know Jesus more, he kindly shows you, bit by bit, just how much he's forgiven you for. And he calls you to change too. I remember Rob saying to me after about six months, It's time to clean up your language. I must have seemed like such a weirdo, he laughs. Church people are so polite, and there I was, swearing at every Bible study. A year or so later, Drew started doing with other non-Christians exactly what Rob had done with him, reading the Bible together. It just seemed a really obvious thing for me to do. I mean, if someone is friends with me and I'm a Christian, then why wouldn't they want to understand a little bit more about what makes me tick? I wanted people I knew to meet Jesus for themselves, and the way to meet Jesus is by reading the Bible. He spent so much of his time doing this that eventually the leaders at his church suggested he give up playing music professionally and work full-time for the church instead. It was a no-brainer, he says simply. Drew had spent over a decade getting up at 5am to practice the violin, had ruthlessly pursued his music career, and had made it, and yet now he was willing to give it up? I never fell out of love with music, he explains. I'm still just as equally in love with music as I was. It's that I'd grown to love something else more. The thing that drove me, what got me excited as I looked at my schedule for the week ahead, it wasn't the performances or practices anymore. It was telling people about Jesus as I read the Bible with them. That's what got me excited. That's what still gets me excited. That's what I'm obsessed with. I just want people to love Jesus. To find out more about Christianity Explored, visit christianityexplored.org and to purchase the book Finding More, visit thegoodbook.co.uk forward slash finding more.